My Savior walks with me. Amen. Uh, peace be with you. Again, we're kind of lopsided. You know, so where, where are the pews? We like the pews, uh, and, and it's good. So it's good to be here with you this Sunday. Uh, this week is Candle Mass. Uh, Candle Mass is on Friday, February 2nd. For those of you who are wondering what is Candle Mass, well, you can Google it. Um, it Candle Mass is the Sunday when the church... Uh, blesses its candles uh, for the entire year, uh, traditionally in the Catholic Church and also in the Byzantine Rite. Uh, it's also when you read this passage, Luke chapter 2, the, the presentation at the temple. And, and so when I saw that that was the text for Friday, and because it's one of my favorite texts, I thought uh, I'd preach on it. Uh, it's, it's, some, it's a text... It's been very fruitful for me, and I hope it will be for you. Uh, it's really an amazing passage. I, I, it's, when I teach on this uh, passage, it takes me four hours, and it's not going to take that long uh, today. Uh, you might be in trouble, yes. Um, but I try to approach this like a kaleidoscope. Uh, so when you look through a kaleidoscope and you turn it, and you see different angles at what you're looking at. And what I want us to do this morning is approach the text, the Word of God, in some ways from various angles. And so I'm going to present angles and different angles and maybe jumping uh, in different texts, uh, using images, using uh, some wood figures, etc. And so I invite you, this is an invitation, to look at the Word of God together from various angles. But before diving in, I'd like to pray this ancient prayer from St. Ephraim in the 4th century. It's a prayer about how wonderfully rich the Word of God is. And I think it is appropriate for us this morning. And I'm going to ask you to stand, because it might be four hours. So the more movement we have, uh, the better. All right? So this is a a prayer around the inexhaustible spring of life uh, that is God's Word. So pray with me. Lord, who can comprehend even one of your words? We lose more of it than we grasp, like those who drink from a living spring. For God's word offers different facets according to the capacity of the listener, and the Lord has portrayed his message in many colors so that whoever gazes upon it can see in it what suits him. Within it, he has buried manifold treasures so that each of us might grow rich in seeking them out. And so whenever anyone discovers some part of the treasure, she should not think that she has exhausted God's word. Instead, she should feel that this is all that she was able to find of the wealth contained in it. Nor should she say that the word is weak and sterile or look down on it simply because this portion was all that she happened to find, but precisely because she could not capture it all She should give thanks for its riches. Be glad then that you are overwhelmed and do not be saddened because he has overcome you. A thirsty man is happy when he is drinking and he is not depressed because he cannot exhaust the spring. So let this spring quench your thirst and not your thirst the spring. 
For if you can satisfy your thirst without exhausting the spring, then when you thirst again, you can drink from it once more. But if when, you thirst, when your thirst is sated, the spring is also dried up, then your victory would turn to harm. So be thankful then for what you have received, and do not be saddened at all that such an abundance in God's word still remains. What you have received and attained is your present share, while what is left will be your heritage. For what you could not take at one time because of your weakness, you will be able to grasp at another if you persevere. So do not foolishly try to drain in one drought what cannot be consumed all at once. And do not cease out of faint-heartedness from what you will be able to absorb as time goes on. God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, so let's get in the river. All right, let's get in, in the Word. And like turning a kaleidoscope, um, I'll be shifting our vision from here to there. And in so doing, I hope uh, you find, I mean, that you're actively finding your avenue into uh, the spring, into God's Word. Uh, and I hope that you maybe have some questions that you can linger throughout the week as we explore this passage. I told uh, Camille I wasn't going to create any uh, wood toys, but I can't help myself. A creature of habit, and I thought I, I, I was going to do it anyways. Um, so this passage begins with Jesus. This is baby Jesus, little baby Jesus, all right? Uh, being circumcised, and then Mary and Joseph bringing him to the temple, and Joseph is holding um, a dove. They're taking him to the temple. They are faithful Jews who follow the laws, and they are coming because there's a need for ritual cleansing, for purification. Why? Right? What's going on? Why, why is the text talking about ritual cleansing? To understand why they are there, why they are going to the temple, we need to turn to Leviticus 12. So let me read to you from Leviticus, Leviticus 12. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If a woman conceives and bears a male child, she shall be ceremonially unclean seven days. As at the time of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. On the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Her time of blood purification shall be 33 days. She shall not touch any holy thing. Or come into the sanctuary until the days of her purification are complete. If she bears a female child, she shall be unclean two weeks, as in her menstruation. Her time of blood purification shall be 66 days. When the days of her purification are completed, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb in its first year for a burnt offering and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. He shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement on her behalf. Then she shall be clean from her flow of blood. This is the law for her who bears a child, male or female. If she cannot afford a sheep, she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons. 
one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement on her behalf, and she shall be clean. The word of the Lord. All right. Uh, what's going on here? And I think this is one of the reasons I think this is a fascinating text, is that Leviticus says, she shall not touch any holy thing. What's she touching? Yeah, Kathy says that's a problem. <laughs> Leviticus says, she shall not touch any holy thing. That her hands are impure. And she's handling God, the Holy One. What's going on? What's going on here? It's an amazing mystery that the Holy One gives Himself, the Holy One gives Himself to humanity to be handled by richly unclean, impure hands. In the incarnation, in God becoming flesh, in Jesus, God plunges Himself into a broken and impure world, not, not to condemn it, but to be embraced by it. Mary is holding God. Joseph, they come with birds, two pigeons. And by reading Leviticus, you might have heard why they're carrying pigeons and they're not bringing a lamb. Why is it? They're poor, right? They're poor. Two pigeons, one for atonement, one for a burnt offering. Now, an odd aspect of the passage in Luke, in, chapter, in verse 22, it says, When the time came for their ritual cleansing or purification, according to the law of Moses, when the time came for their... Now, if you were paying attention when I was reading Leviticus really quickly, and I don't think, you know, it's hard to kind of pick up one word. But the rite of purification is for the mother. But Luke says, there. Now, it's a mystery. I mean, it's, it's, it's odd. Why is he saying, who is richly and clean here more than Mary? It's an odd thing to include in this text. Was Joseph impure too? If so, why? I wonder about that. Why? Whatever the answer, I think, is that Luke is pointing us that the world Jesus enters into is impure. It's broken. It's an enslaved world. And not only... Is it a story? Is this story about kind of ritual purification? It also tells us that it is a story of the redeeming and liberating of an enslaved world. And that makes this an Exodus story. Because again, if you look at the passage that we read, it says in verse 23, 
every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And to understand that, and to understand what's going on here, we also have to look at the Exodus. Because this is a story about redeeming the firstborn. The firstborn of all creation. And therefore, Luke hearkens us back to the Passover. And so this is a Passover story. So let's look at Exodus chapter 13. I'll start in verse 11. When the Lord has brought you into the land of the Canaanites, when he has brought you home, as he swore to you and your ancestors and has given it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb, all the firstborn of your livestock that are males shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn donkey you shall redeem with a sheep. If you do not redeem it, you must break its neck. Every firstborn male among your children you shall redeem. When in the future your child asks you, what does this mean? Like we're asking, what does this mean? You shall answer. By strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from human firstborn to the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord every male that first opens the womb, but every firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall serve as a sign on your hand and as an emblem on your forehead that by strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. The Lord brought us out of Egypt. The word of the Lord. This story is an Exodus story. God redeems the firstborn of Israel. And at this moment, Jesus, the Son of God, the firstborn, comes to the temple. He comes in many ways to Canaan, to his home. And in his flesh, as an Israelite, He brings everyone home with him because he is the true Israelite, the Son of God. And so not only is he being redeemed, but in God taking human flesh, God has redeemed in Jesus all of us, all humanity. In Mary and Joseph bringing Jesus to the temple for redemption, They are also bringing with them all of humanity because God is in the flesh, in Jesus. All right, let me try and capture a bit of what I'm saying here and kind of reframe it for you so that you can ponder with me. The Holy One gives humanity himself to be handled by impure hands, And these hands bring the Holy One to his holy place. In the person of Jesus, humanity is being placed in the Holy of Holies, in God's presence. Humanity breaks through the divisions and is with God. 
Hence, when the infant Savior comes to the temple, He comes home and all humanity with Him. This is a homecoming story. We are brought home to God's house in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. All right? Pondering, reflecting. Let's adjust the, the telescope. Let's, let's look at some other angles. What's, what else is going on here? Uh, there's, there's Simeon. Now, Simeon is at the temple, and he's a righteous, devout man, and he is old. Right? He's old, and he takes Jesus into his hands. Right? He takes the infant into his arms and worships God. Now, we're told that Simeon's been ready to die for a long time. He's an Israelite living in occupied territory. Roman and pagan society surrounds him. He knows the brokenness of the world. He feels it and hopes for the renewing of the world. He hopes for salvation, true salvation. He yearns for it. And he's got this infant in his arms. He's got this infant in his arms and he sings. In Latin, this song is called the Nunc Dimittis. It's been sung every day, multiple times for centuries. It's a beautiful song. And so I'm going to read it right now. And listen to it. This is what he's singing with Jesus in his arms. Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Why do we call this kind of Friday candle mass? It, it, it's a reminder of Jesus the light the revelation. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Now, what does he see when he holds this infant? He sees salvation. And he doesn't just see salvation for Israelites. He sees something quite remarkable for a righteous Jew. He sees the salvation of everyone. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Then this elderly, kind of right, righteous man, he, he, he comes near to this young couple and he blesses them. And he prophesies over them, telling Mary what will become of her son and how it will affect her. He says, this child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. 
and a sword will pierce your own soul too. A sword will pierce your own soul too. What is this blessing that sounds like a curse? Nancy, if you'll put up the first slide, this first picture. This is a painting by Andrea Mantegna of 1444. Um, it's a painting of this, it, this, this story and the presentation of the temple. You have Mary holding Jesus and, and, and Simeon kind of taking him in his hands. Joseph in the middle, and we think the artist paints him and his wife in the background. What do you see? Is Jesus swaddled or is he shrouded? Is he swaddled or is he shrouded? The baby is tightly wrapped and prepared for his burial. Mantegna knows that Simeon's blessing points both to the cross and the rising of many. The cross and resurrection. What does Simeon see? Salvation. He sees the cross. He prophesies the resurrection. So let me try again to capture a bit of what is happening here. Right? So ponder with me. I love this text. There's so much. And we're still just, we're at the surface. The vision of the elderly is not usually very good. And mine gets worse and worse. Camille and I were arguing about our font sizes this, you know, this morning. Like, how big do we need this? Um, the vision of the elderly is not usually very good. But Simeon's sight is extremely clear because he sees in the child what only those of us after Pentecost and the church will see clear enough that the infant king, the infant, is the king of death and thus his death will be one of peace. For death has met its match in this baby boy. Salvation has arrived. Simeon's vision is sharp. It could be expected that as a Jew he would have prophesied the salvation only of Israel and not the Gentiles, not his enemies, especially the enemies who occupy his land. His sight is sharp because he sees that the salvation is not against the Gentiles, not against Rome, but is for all people, for Gentiles, for the Romans, Jews, for us here in the Pacific Northwest. And therefore, it's salvation, it's peace. And for him, it's peace while he's dying. He worships God with God in his hands. He speaks the words of God, holding the word of God. I mean, what's going on? It's so cool. I think it's so cool. I hope you, I'm hoping that you guys catch, catch some of the coolness with me as well, right? And there's more. So if like, you adjust your kaleidoscope again, uh, 
we bring out Anna. Okay? Anna. Anna enters in. And Anna is uh, from the tribe of Asher. Now, Luke is telling us this because he wants us to know who Anna is. The tribe of Asher is one of the lost tribes of the north of Israel. Um, the southern tribes, I mean, Israel, I mean, Judah and Benjamin have returned from exile, but these northern tribes have not returned. She is in exile, right? Israel is still in exile, and Luke is telling us something really important about Anna. All right? Here's another picture. Um, this one's uh, one by Rembrandt. The same story, and you see Anna here in, in a kind of dramatic pose, and, and, and Rembrandt is kind of the master of light. You see how Jesus is at the center of this, and, 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 and the light is there. Anna here is seen as a prophet. There's drama taking place here. She's been praying and fasting for decades in the temple, hoping for this moment. Even though this is the first time she sees this infant, she knows this child. She's been waiting for him. Now her relatives, the tribe of Asher, they have not returned. But this child is the beginning of the message of the great return from exile. In the book of Ezekiel, we're told how during the exile, the Babylonian exile, God leaves his temple. The great presence, the glory of the Lord had left the Holy of Holies empty. And even in the rebuilding of the temple, there are some weeping because there's something missing still. But now, here at the temple, the glory of the Lord has returned in this child. And so the great exile is over. Can you imagine that as an exile? Can you imagine having to flee your home and your family fleeing home, but then the announcement comes, return. Come back home. The great exile's over. The time to return is now. And so Anna, even though she's kind of in her 80s, she's like, she's on her marathon route. She is going from person to person proclaiming the redemption of Jerusalem. She cannot be contained. Her joy will not be contained in the house of the Lord. This is the gospel. This is good news. Jesus is presented at the temple. It's one of my favorite stories. Uh, the more I meditate on this passage, the more I'm amazed, right? Um, it's a spring that cannot be exhausted by our thirst. Um, and I love all the characters here. Who do you resonate with? Who do you resonate with? Maybe it's Mary. Mary, the young mother, coming for her purification with impure hands, holding the Holy One. If she resonates with you, maybe you need to hear that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, makes you pure. Right? Jesus doesn't ask you to be pure before he jumps in your hands. 
There's nothing you've got to do. Jesus comes. He comes into our impure, broken world and redeems us. Maybe it's Joseph, a traveling father, moving his family from Galilee to Bethlehem to Egypt to Jerusalem. He is, he is a wandering Israelite. He has hopes for the land of milk and honey, for home. And here Jesus, the firstborn, brings him, brings Joseph to God's home, his home. And if he resonates with you, if you feel like you're in the wilderness, maybe you need to hear that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is bringing you home too. He's got you by his hand and leading you home. Or maybe it's Simeon. Simeon, who's holding on to bare life, close to dying, waiting in a broken world to see salvation. He sees in this infant the hope of the future, the cross and resurrection. If he resonates with you, if you feel like you are holding on and longing to see salvation, maybe you need to hear that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is your hope and salvation, and that it has arrived. It is here and present. And there's Anna. Anna's one of my favorites. She's just committed. She's committed, and she just proclaims the gospel here. And going, I mean, she's looking for, to tell people about what she's just seen. She's praying and fasting in the temple. Her life is a life of an exiled tribe. But when she sees Jesus, she is overjoyed. She goes around to all who will listen about the redemption of Jerusalem. And so if you resonate maybe with her, if you have the desire for God's call to bring us all back home from exile, maybe you need to hear that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is gathering you home today, all of us home. There's lots of things I know that you're probably hearing. Each of us is hearing something more about the depth of Jesus breaking into our time in our life. Because it's a spring that's inexhaustible. One last picture uh, and one last story. This is another uh, Rembrandt. Rembrandt painted this temple scene three times during his life. This is at the end of his life. Uh, His wife is dead. All of his children are dead. He is lonely and an old man, and he's had a very hard life. He's poor. Many of his possessions have had to be sold off. And he's painting this scene. Now, this version is without the drama of his other two paintings and the one that we saw. But it is full of tenderness. Here, Simeon's eyes are closed or blind. He's dying. Now let your servant depart in peace. This painting is unfinished. Rembrandt never finished this painting. Um, 
And he never finished it because it was the last painting he was working on. While he was dying, while Rembrandt was dying, he was meditating this story, reading Simeon, painting Simeon. And that night, I wonder what he was thinking. I wonder about his final meditations, his ruminations over the story as he's painting Simeon holding Christ, the light. Did he see salvation? The hope of redemption. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful story. Now he departs. The Nunc Dimittis, this beautiful song. Different angles. Different angles reveal more and more. I'm not going to go for hours. But we could go for an eternity and find more and more and be rewarded and nourished. As I was cutting these wood figures and looking at these pictures, I realized they all have their hands and arms ready to receive. Right? In a little bit, we're going to be ready to receive the body of Christ from the altar. All of these characters have impure, wandering, old, hopeful hands. Their hands have carried a lot. So do yours. So do yours. Look at your hands. Go ahead. This is an assignment. I want you to look at your hands. All right? Look at your hands. When you come up, the body of Jesus will be placed in those hands. Are those hands impure? He will cleanse them. Are they lost? He will grab them and lead you home. Are they old and weak? He will heal them and strengthen them. Are they expectant? Well, he will fill them, he will fill them with real life. You see, Jesus breaks into our life and leads us home. He is our salvation. In all of Scripture, Jesus is wondrous, wondrously at the center. The Son of God enters our world as an infant, is handled by broken humanity, and leads humanity to salvation, his presence, his home. The Word of God is a kaleidoscope. It's playful. It's unexhausting. It's a spring that cannot be quenched by our thirst. I love this story. I hope you love this story too. I want to end with a prayer of St. Augustine. So if you'll stand with me, uh, we'll pray this prayer. And then you'll be invited uh, by Pastor Camille to come hold Jesus. Pray with me. What wonderful profundity there is in your utterances, Lord. The surface meaning lies open before us and charms beginners. Yet the depth is amazing, my God. The depth is amazing. To concentrate on your word is to experience awe, the awe of adoration before its transcendence and the trembling of love. 
God, you come into our broken world and you redeem it. You carry us into heaven. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you.